Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for October 14th of 2018. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHits.com. And we are back, week two of the NHL season. A few more games for everybody to uh, look back at, reflect on, try to predict the future a little bit. Uh, Still not enormous samples, but, you know, early stages of learning um, some of the team's pros and cons uh, and trends, mini trends that uh, may be starting to form. I think um, I think we'll just jump right into Pittsburgh this week because yeah, lot lot going on, lot going on. There is. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the fact that they've lost Shields for what looks like forever? Yeah, that's probably um, <laughs> an appropriate place to start because Justin Schultz. I thought it was his knee at first, just because I. Well, so did I. I've gotten my skate caught in a rut like that before, and it was my knee that gave out, not my ankle. But um, after further review, looks like the ankle is going to be a bigger problem. If the knee's not somewhat of a problem, too, he might have hurt his knee a little bit on top of the gruesome well, ankle. It's not supposed to point the opposite direction to what your body is facing. As far as I can remember when I was working in the personal training industry, that's not good. So what are we looking for here? Broken ankle? That would have been my pick. Look, and it's one of those things where he could break his tibia or his fibia just above the ankle, which is why it turns so far. Um, I mean, that whole thing could be busted. He could break the joint where the ball and socket is on the left or right side of your ankle, and they can surgically repair it. Uh, he probably has shredded all of the ligaments that run down from his tibia and fibia onto his foot. Um, and if he's busted his Achilles from that thing turning as much as it did with the torque that it did, I mean, that whole area could be toast. He also could be really lucky and he's only done, uh, he's only torn a few ligaments down there, which if they wanted to, they could attach and then it's rehab or they could just let it naturally heal um, and, and then do rehab. I've got, I'm, my ligaments in my tent, my ligaments in my foot are not, connected anymore they're um they're loose so he could get by with them not being attached as well particularly working out of a skate so he's got there's so many options that can happen from here they'll have to wait for the scan and then the swelling to go down and then see what happens so fingers crossed that it's the most unlikely situation for him but i don't see a situation where the ligaments are fine Correct. That's that's the most likely. I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I'll say this: uh, maybe better than a high ankle sprain. So that's I find that so funny because I've this sport's the only sport that I know of high ankle sprains, right? And, and quite clearly, they're ridiculously hard to recover from, as opposed to the sports we play over here, which are all what you'd call traditional ankle sprains, which are all lower, um, and they seem to be a rehabable. Uh, quicker yeah you get up higher it, it, it's rough you can't put your your weight down as much yeah it's not an injury that uh over here I've, I've had to try and help rehab and it's i would be lost if if i had to come across i'd have to do a lot of research in regards to how to treat it and and, and the expectations on the poor person that would would run through it so 
I just you look at that and you just think there's no way any of that is still together in one piece. Sometimes they say a broken ankle's quicker to come back from than the high ankle sprain. Well, the bone, the the bone would heal quicker, and and often ligaments and tendons and stuff often if they're stretched never go back to their normal never go back to their normal tightness so it comes down to muscular strength to help tighten everything up that takes time to develop muscle and strength particularly after you've been off that limb for whatever time it is for you to try and get through your rehab so it's yeah it's interesting to see how it's all going to work so still no news as of recording this on uh Sunday afternoon here in North America, but there, he, um, he was going back to Pittsburgh to get it, um, evaluated. I'm sure we'll hear something uh, tonight or tomorrow, probably tomorrow so there goes, after practice. There goes the assumption that Mata's going to get traded. Yeah, so I guess we can talk about the ice fallout from this, and Pittsburgh's defense outside of their top pairing has been not good no it's been pretty shambolic and the risk you run with that is that with all of the superstars being a year older it's just that tiny bit harder for them to carry the team and it's just purely aging curves and stuff like that so you kind of need the lesser parts to play a little tiny bit better so that when the the greats can't quite do it as often it kind of balances out and right now that that back sit well the back four really because you're right the the top pairing's been pretty good just aren't cutting the mustard at the moment so you've got Olimata who came back in the game against montreal and had a terrible night like really bad only four to shot four shot attempts four like 25 or something like that against like this team's going to get outshot so much this year so far they're they're not above 50 percent through four games they're at like 47 and that includes trailing in games and reaping the benefits of score effects Jesus Christ, it's not good. <laughs> so, I don't like much about it. You know, we've talked at length about potentially moving Mata in the past. I don't think right now is necessarily a good time for that. I also don't no. think healthy scratching him is exactly helping on that front either. Well, it's... It, until Schultz went down, it was quite clear they were going to rotate a few guys through and just try and get a feel. And it's early in the season, and it's really easy for me to jump to conclusions because that's always easy to do when you're on a podcast. You, you do wonder a little bit whether they were going to try and get a feel for where everybody fits in well with each other. You would assume they would have discussed this with all the defensemen. We're going to rotate you guys through. It's got nothing to do with your particular play of a particular game. We're just going to rotate you guys through and try and see what's what's going on. Um they're going to lose that flexibility now because they're going to have to... Well, Johnson's the technically the number three now. Quite clearly, they think he's a top two pairing. And I'm shattered that you were right when you said that last week. <laughs> because he's, that's what it is. He's going to be the elephant in the room that you have to talk about every time we bring the defense up. 
Like, there's no avoiding it. I know people don't want to hear it, but, like, what are you going to do? They're treating him like he's good, and he's not. Although he did lead the team in possession last night, but they sucked on possession. So, if he's leading, that's not good. (laughs) That's, yeah. It's one of those things, I suppose, that it's really interesting when you watch a game live. And I don't get to watch many of them live, but obviously with the game being a Sunday morning for me, I could. And it's hilarious when you go through Twitter as you watch a game. And I love doing it when it's live. The amount of people that try to find any positive that Jack Johnson can possibly do. Because quite clearly, they want the trade to work. Because they're Penguins fans. You don't want to have a a signing be so poor that it, it tanks your team. But you can't just go, oh, wow, he made one take to take pass. This is a good signing. Like, look at the entire game. He left the net open so often, the net front open so often against the Canadians yesterday morning to try and go and slam a guy into the boards. So it counts as a hit. Great. But you've just created a scoring opportunity by doing that. And it's it's been his MO his entire career. Like you said, he's not going to change now. We've got a over 10-year sample size of what he is. I just don't think it fits in regards to the way this team plays. They're better off playing cerebrally, trying to get their gap control right, stop entries at the blue line, and then use their sticks, not their physicality, to try and get the the puck out of the zone. Latang and Dumoulin are the only two guys that I trust to to not throw themselves out of position more often than not when trying to make a hit. And Latang can do that at the wrong time. Yeah, he's certainly susceptible to to those moments which um are never forgotten but his good stuff tends to be forgotten um which is always weird when like your best guy at a position gets the most criticism because he has the puck all the time and it's simple it's 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 recency bias it's my god he has the puck on his stick all the time that one bad play outweighs the wonderful goal that he scored um that was Brilliant from Kessel, Gino to Latang, considering they almost fucked it up. Yeah, I mean, entries can go awry, and that one did. And they still recovered. Like, Gino got it down to Phil. Phil kept his path, which was good. Um, it's funny, little things like that where Phil kept going on that botched entry. If that was Daniel Sprung that kept going there, and Gino turned it over. Oh, you should have. You didn't know he had it? Like, the the double talk, depending on who the player is, it's just... He's he's playing so scared, that poor kid right now. I don't think he's he's playing bad, but yes, he's not playing... No, but he's playing scared, you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. And it it was great to see him set up the first goal from Simone. And that was a little bit of a broken play, too. You can see that he... The broken play was on his stick, so he didn't have to think crap, I've got to get back. Like, he was still involved in the play. If he was in Simone's position, I reckon he would have bailed the zone because he's so petrified of of getting axed from the team at the moment. He's not really worrying about doing it. There are times where you, you go, shoot the puck, and he made the safe play instead. And it's like, you've got the shot. Just shoot the thing. So they've got him wound up so tight at the moment. How are you supposed to know what this kid's going to do? No, and... and, and put a pin in that we're coming back to him oh okay Um, i'm not done with this defense no go for it so you know 
depending on what outlets you follow, um, is it Juso? Juso? Ricola, you know, you'd think he was going to win the Norris this year. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, like, let's get a grip here. He had a good run in training camp. He might be able to give him some bottom pairing minutes, but I don't know what past that anybody's really expecting. And he damn well should not be taking Mata's spot in the lineup for any reason. Because I do not believe for one second he will consistently outplay Ali Mata, even if Mata's not playing his best hockey. He's the new toy, you know. Oh, I'm fine with playing him, but I don't understand... um, I don't understand anything they're doing with the defense, yeah. including the off season. So whatever. So this is something that I I can't I I can't work out here. Is this Jacks Martin's influence across the way they're being deployed, or is Gontrow having more of an influence on what's going on? And this has been a shift. No, I don't. Because I don't Gron- think it's any of that, to be honest. So it's the players, then. It's literally just the players aren't good enough because this team over the last I don't know. 18 months has not been great defensively. So they've either got bailed out by good goaltending um, or the offense has, has covered their their shortcomings. So is it just the depth of the back end is not good enough? Because it's just, they seem so out of joint. I think it hasn't been one thing over the course of this timeline. I think it's changed and morphed. Um, yeah. I mean, Latang Dumoulin is your kind of gimme. You don't have to really think about that at all. They've been a great Good. pairing. Um, I think it's been more Latang-driven because we've seen Dumoulin away from Latang. Yeah, but that was with Hainsey. That's brutal for anybody. Correct. I do understand <laughs> that, but 42%, yeah. I mean, if he's... Yeah, I get it. ...as good as... Um, the reputation, I uh, you'd think maybe like forty six, <laughs> something like you'd that. You think closer to you think closer to breaking even. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mata with Daly when Daly, you know, regressed back to his career norm. That's not easy for because I I'm going to say it over and over again. Mata's going to play to his partner's ability more yeah, so that's than quite clear most now. people. Yeah, you're right. He's a chameleon. Absolutely. So my suggestion would be to pair him with Ma- or he is Mata. Pair him with Latang. <laughs> yeah, I can see where you're going with this. So who do you put with? Who do you put with Duma though? I don't know. You can't do you can't do Schultz now because that's what I would have. Yes, I would have done assumed. that. Um, yeah. Just to be clear, um, Schultz as an option. Yes, that would be my second pairing. Because Mata does well with Latang, he did well with Niskanen. Gee, go figure. When when he's got a good yeah. partner, he's good, and when he's got a bad one, he's bad. Great complementary piece. And then you loop your way all the way back around to that elephant in the room. Yep, we're back there. You you just it's like the way things are now with, with Schultz being out. You're just going to have to play. And I have a feeling it was it would have ended up being Schultz and Alexiak as the second pairing. I think eventually Johnson would have got pushed oh, down man. to the third I pairing. I think this is going to be a thing for a while. 
Yeah, but that's the, to be honest, they've been bailed out of having to make a decision until Schultz gets back, even if he does get back. Like that's the thing that could be that brutal that injury. So their decision's almost been made for them for now. They can get away with saying, "Well, we've got to play Johnson as the." as the three, four, and we'll just rotate Alexiak and Marta through there and work out which, which of that, those two pairings work in, in that spot. Um, it's just, I just find it frustrating. Trade that shouldn't have happened, didn't need to happen. Everyone will say, oh, look, the Jack Johnson trade's great because they've got Schultz injured. But Ruedel can provide what Jack Johnson provides. Well, Ru- They do still have Ruedel, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. He's kind of down... He is the only other right-handed defenseman right now. Yeah. So now you've got guys playing on the right side as left-handed players, and which can be done. Paul Martin used to effectively do it. Yeah, but that's Paul Martin. Yeah, um, and, and other players <laughs> do as well, but I don't think any of the guys Pittsburgh has necessarily do it. And do it well, yeah. No, I, I absolutely. Someone's going to have to do it, whether they want to or not, kind of thing. That's where they're at now. So, I don't know. Probably it's gonna it's be funny Jack how... Johnson. Yeah. I'm sorry to everybody listening, but it's going to be a, a well-beaten horse by the uh, by game 10, I reckon. <laughs> this one. Yeah. So. I... <laughs> but, but he's in an elevated spot now. Two and weeks he, into the I season, really, even more elevated than the elevated spot that he should have had. I always thought they were overpaying for a third pair defenseman. That that was that was where I just logically thought they were going to throw him. They were going to put him down there with with Marta, and it was going to be Schultz and Alexiak that were going to be the second. But that's just how I assumed it was going to roll out. And then you go through the preseason, you go through the first couple of games, and you made the really good point. They think he is a second pairing defenseman, and you go, oh no. And that's fine when you've got Schultz who can carry the mail and can make the offensive decisions. And all you rely on Jack Johnson to do is hit an outlet pass, not the ones that not the ones that go to the offensive um, blue line, but just an offensive like an outlet pass that allows the forwards to escape with speed. He can do that, but now you're going to ask him to carry the mail and, and, and make the big decisions. I don't know if I like that. It's crazy, too, online that the different opinions about Johnson, not even, like, the the people that think he's good versus bad, the reasons why he's supposedly good are different and wrong. <laughs> like, people think he's an offensive yeah. player. He, that's what he, he came into not. the league as. That's their, that's, that's their bias. No, he's a third overall drafted. pick, so you never drop yeah. that from his, um, you know perception i guess oh he went third overall he must be something i think cam barker did too and you know they're pretty much two peas in a pod those two in my opinion um it's one of those things where not sliding down the draft helps your career the whole way through if you could stay in those top in that top five and obviously in the top three you're always given chances because quite clearly people go well the talent was obviously there at some point Motherfucker's giving up two on O's to Bellamare and Ryan Reeves. <laughs> I mean... Oh, good grief. How's Ryan Reeves get behind you? Actually, who was it? There was a situation where I think 
I think Ricola pinched. And Johnson didn't come back to the top of the zone. Stayed at the top of the... Stayed to the... That's right. Ricola pinched at one stage and Johnson didn't peel back to the top of the zone. Just didn't get back to the blue line to the midpoint of the ice. And the Canadians just had a simple breakout. And you just go, how can you... You've been in the league for 12 years. I know it's a new system and they're new defensemen, but that's just... You, you, your teammate pinches. Give, give me a fucking off. break with the system talk. As if hockey systems are this complicated thing. Oh, I know. I'm there's only so many basic. Uh, there's only so many basic four checks you're running. Yeah, and I, I, I would forgive. This a, isn't a, a football playbook, that. okay? <laughs> get, yeah, get it's the a good fuck point. out of here with this nonsense. It's a very, it is a very organic sport, and that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. In that players when given the opportunity can do magical stuff that you can't coach they just do it but yeah his decision making is i think the the most concerning part particularly because this team is going to is going to get exposed and you need your defenseman to make the right decisions and he's stupid tough like he'll chase to cross check someone in front of the net but he'll vacate a huge void right there and the puck goes there yeah, because you've got to clear the net. You've got to be tough to clear the net, remember? So, it's it's baffling. So, we're still in love with the signing, as you can tell. Yeah. And, Jesus. you know, it's two weeks in. Whatever. You know what? Even with the Schultz injury, I would rather have the cap space. I would rather have... Oh, yeah. He's negative Ru- value. I would... I- I would rather have Rue Riedel coming into the lineup right now. He might. With Alexiak already playing. We'll, so, we'll see how long the Ricola experiment goes for. I didn't... There was nothing he did to me that stuck out that said, Bleh, but he's not... Like, you see Bob Grove on Twitter. Does Ricola ever make a mistake? Well, yes, he really does. You've got to actually watch where he stands for position at times in regards to why... His teammates get burnt. It's amazing how... I get that they want him to succeed, but blinkers, please, people. Blinkers. Yeah. Well, he's going for the Norris. Oh, so we've got two Norris candidates then. Well, I think Latang's actually got to be near the front legitimately right now. At, yeah, at the moment. he's. It's good to see. I'm glad to see. On October 14th, Just for his own, yes. Yeah, but the thing is, though, after everything he's gone through, he looks like he's actually having fun again. Yeah, and I, actually, I don't know what um, sparked it, but I must have read something on Twitter during the game last night. Oh, people just clamoring. Oh, this is a great bounce back for Chris Letang. And I'm just like, what are you, what were you watching last year other than like the few, the, the gross mishaps that happened sporadically throughout the year? He was a 55.37 expected goals for, and he had like an 88% on ice save percentage. I can't imagine how <laughs> the view is that he's he needed to bounce back. Gee, what stat would just tell you that, you know, things weren't really that bad for him? Tell me anyone in the Pittsburgh media that's not behind a paywall that actually uses advanced stats in their articles. Name me one. And there's a reason that they don't, 
it's because they can create their own narrative as they go through. Because if they bothered to look back at what Latang had last year, they wouldn't be able to get there and say this is a great bounce back. They've got a storyline the entire year now with Latang. There's a reason they ignore it. It's not because they're afraid of it. They look at the numbers and I reckon they go, well, there goes the whole storyline for the year if I don't if I don't have it. So yeah, the storyline hinges on the Penguins goalies getting their head out of their ass and giving them like even ninety one percent save percentage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 I've, I've changed my stance on the head in the sand for the advanced stats. These journalists aren't idiots. If the, if the numbers don't suit the story narrative that they want to run for a month or something, they ignore them. And then they don't bother using them at all because then, you know, they're hypocritical on it and stuff like that. There's nobody in that Pittsburgh landscape, media-wise, that use it. They're cowards. And I'm happy to call them out and have them crack the shit with me because none of them will listen to this podcast, but they are. They don't want to do any serious analysis and help educate the fans in regards to why things are happening on the ice. Now, there is and a market for um, absolutely there for that. Is. So I do want to be fair and say, um, you know, we're not the target market for any of that. I know, the casual I fan, like... They don't give a shit about an ice save percentage. What? So you're going to get there as the media and, and say you're holding up a spotlight to what's going on, but you're not going to actually do it properly. You can't be soft. You can't be soft fluff pieces the entire year. And that's all you get at the moment. Well, and it, it drives me nuts. I'll tell you what. Bill West tried his damnedest. Yeah, and look what happened to him. Well, I don't know why. Uh, I think family reasons he, he left the trip, but... Bill, Bill tried his damnedest, and, and did, I appreciated and, and it. And did I, and did a very good job. Matt Geica would use yeah, but it he, as well. He, yeah, same thing. But they're not there now, are they? Well, to your point, yes. There's non-paywall. And, and the other thing is, I have a feeling, you're right, that particular market, the Pittsburgh market, don't really want to know either. I think that's probably just as, just as important in that they don't want to know. So, yeah, Latang bounce back. Or, still good. <laughs> <laughs> Always was. <laughs> and uh, poor motherfucker's going to be playing 30 minutes a night again. Yeah, so much for reducing his minutes. I love that storyline every year, as if they have other options. Yeah, the depth's there. They can just afford to only play him 22 minutes a night and fill fill those six or seven minutes everywhere else yeah that'll definitely work so so the d is going swimmingly so far this year uh the offense got a new look last night and um you know i'm not saying that the coach can't change his lines up early in the year and find some things uh but the broussard to wing thing let me just say, I think Broussard, Gensel, and, and Sid would be is and can be a great line. It's it's not about that though. It's about what it does to the bottom six. If you're in the last four minutes and you need a goal and you're literally only going to roll two lines back to back until you score, do it then. But not for an entire game. I don't see the. I literally don't see the point in it. The whole point of getting Broussard is to fill your depth out and have have Riley Shea and play as your fourth line center. Yeah. And put, pulling him up into the lineup means that you're using that third line as a 
defensive stopper as opposed to a, an aggressive try and score kind of line takes away the takes away the the whole point of having Rust and, and Hornquist down there. Hornquist can't drive a line on his own. No, nope, nope, nope. He's got to have lit- somebody to get it down there, and then then he can um, play to his strengths. But you man, literally he, negate anything nope. he can do by moving in. Like Riley Sheehan's not going to be the guy that gets Patrick Hornquist to do the things he needs to do at his price range at even strength. Because as it stands right now, you're you're talking about a guy that needs to make bank and be dominant on the power play. Because even dating back to last year, with Crosby and Malkin, his his even strength production was not. It was lower than a guy like Connor Sherry. Yeah, but he doesn't get the power play minutes to make out that he's good. <laughs> no, no, I, I understand that, but I'm saying at even strength. No, that's the problem. That's that's the thing. You you look at even strength, and you, what do you play more, even strength or power play? So what percentage of the game do you need Hornquist to produce? What he does on the power play, you, you can't argue with. He's important to the way the power play works. Even when he's not scoring on that, he is definitely a major contributor at times for goalies and defensemen not being able to get into the right spot or even see the puck when Malcolm Crosby and, and Kessel and Latang work their magic. But he, he's nowhere near as effective at even strength, and that's what you're paying most of his contract for because that's most of the time he's on the ice. He, he used to be more effective at even strength. Is it is it aging curve or is it just the fact that... I think, you know, I think he, aging, certainly for a physical player yeah. can have a little bit to do with it although never the best skater anyways and he's from all accounts i can see in pretty great shape so um it's just his um his skill set is what it is he's a masher it's it's all high variant stuff a lot of what he does isn't that all that skilled so you're kind of at the mercy of uh, bounces with his yeah, success. Yeah, you're not going to get you're not going to get a lot of bounces with Riley Shane on your line. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, Abs- absolutely. Rebound bounces yeah, have... and and just how he smashes at the puck off of rebounds. If it, is it going to yep. chip over the shoulder? Is it going to go into the guy's chest? Like he never. A lot of what he does isn't really a controlled play. It's just no. and and. This is a sport of chaos, so what he does works. But if you get if you get a run of of twelve tails when you've called heads, all of a sudden that var- the, the wild variance you there is is a problem. At least with with Sid, you might have a piece of blue tack on one side of the coin that you know it's going to flip to land on that side. That's the that's the problem you've got with with players like that, and that's why I don't like Prasad up there. Because at least if you had Hornquist and Brassard playing together, I've got a little more confidence that Brassard can make a play that will allow Hornquist to hack and whack and, and get lucky. Yeah, and also maybe not a terrible idea to... Well, yeah, I guess Hornquist could play there in a third-line role, but at, at the end of the day, like, what was the plan with Hornquist? 
not seeing ice with Crosby and Malkin. All of his successes come with Crosby and Malkin. Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing. I, I keep wanting Sprong to go up there. And when we tweet, you quite rightly remind me there's a roadblock, and that roadblock is 72. Right now it is, yeah. Yeah, and that contract is, I think, almost untradeable. Say Sprong got out of the gate playing on the third line with Broussard and took off. And they went, you know what, maybe we'll put him up. And all of a sudden, somebody he's would on a cheap them. contract. No, there's so many idiots that somebody would take him. He's exactly the uh, type of player some of these GMs like Jim Benning could not resist. Resist. Well, maybe you throw him to um, Edmonton and you get Nugent Hopkins back or something like that. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm not much on a trade Hornquist kick that was before the contract. Um, I'm resigned. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm resigned yeah. to the fact that he's on the team. But now that he is, gotta figure out a five five on five spot for him that he's gonna produce. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing here? I, I think I, I think I'll probably get a little more worried. If some of these trends that we've seen over this tiny volume of games are holding firm at, you know, games 20 to 25 or 20 to 30, because you've had a quarter of the year then, you've been able to, to put the line mashing together and, and, and throw it through the blender and, and have a look and see what the hell's going on, do all those kinds of things. But... If, it's, if, if they get to 20 and they continue to do these things on a regular basis, it's like, well, that's what they think is the go, and that's what they're going to do. I mean, they've said all off-season they wanted to put Broussard up on the wing, and it took them, what, game five to do that? So, you know, I don't think necessarily that's going to fail. You can get there and go, that, that top line is going to be awesome. What happens to the rest of the roster? You know, you bottom out, you, you, you bottom six forwards and all of a sudden you're sheltering everybody yeah so Broussard to the wing as we said has has a lot of consequences here and I think if you're going to go Broussard to the wing you need to separate the big three what and so you're playing Kessel with Riley Shane and that just seems stupid again <laughs> I'm I'm just saying like what are what are we doing here I agree with your theory, but that's what happens. That that's where you end up. So now you're a, a top six team when you have you do have the personnel, your unique factor that not many teams can match are those three centers. Toronto can do it. I don't know a lot of others that can do it. And you've got three centers and you traded for him and you gave up quite a goalie prospect by all accounts um to do it and you know i'm, I'm, I'm fine tra trading prospects for um a guy like broussard in a in a win now window <laughs> but with the way murray's been playing and you know there's not much there um why would, oh, why would you give up an asset like funny. that to not use the asset the the way that it should be yeah i don't I, it really does feel like at times coaches try to justify why they exist and try to be clever and try to reinvent the wheel. And there are times where, with this particular roster, 
and particularly in the forwards, it looks as though players should just slot in like a computer game. In that you go, well, that seems obvious. That line seems obvious. I mean, the only liner that feels like they're not going to touch is the Malkin, Haglin and Kessel line, and I fully understand that. I, I get why you're probably not really going to touch that unless an injury occurs and you have to shift players up and down the lineup to fill spots, but that seems to be the only thing they don't want to touch. You could. My wife made a really good point about Crosby. Every time Crosby's played with kids, the kids have always performed. And she keeps, when she watches the game, she's like, well, why isn't Sprong playing up with Sid? And then you've got to go into the whole, <laughs> well, this is because they've gone and done this and this. And she just walks away after that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm glad Sprong's on the team, but yeah. this nonsense should have been done last year when they had Ryan fucking Reeves blocking him. Yeah. I mean, they've still got Zach Aston Reese as well that they sent down to get his game back after well, he, it looks like he's a little bit timid because of his, you know, fact that his jaw is not nah, the same he, as it was. he fought. He got in a fight with that this uh, preseason. That's what they said to him, though. They said, you've got to go down and get your game back. And he said... Nah, interview, you know what like, that was? Oh, I'm... What was that? He was... Uh, didn't have to go through waivers. Well, if that's the case, then that just sucks balls for him. Well, the, that that happens all over the NHL, though. I get no that. Yeah, but we're focusing on you know this particular team. They baffle me with their decisions at times. Absolutely, just confound me, and you you wonder what the hell's going on. You know, they've got a really good stats guy there in in San Ventura. There are times where I wonder whether he gets listened to at all when it comes to the day-to-day running of, of what's going out in the ice. Well, I'm not in those rooms, so I can't speak to that. Oh, we both aren't, but it would be great to be a fly on the wall at times and then to end up in somebody's nose to piss them off. So, um, we did get some Penguins questions. So... Yes, we did. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and work some of some of them we've already like mushed just in our natural flow of conversation with defense and stuff like that. Although one part of the defense we did not discuss um, at Philip Russo. I don't think he's a Justin Schultz fan. Does the Schultz injury improve the Penguins? No, short answer. <laughs> no, I don't think it it does. Hey, Schultz, Schultz has got holes in his game. That's certainly not the argument. But when you've got a team with the forwards that Pittsburgh have, Schultz can wheel the puck out of the zone skating. He can hit a pass uh, on the move, two forwards on the move. Um, he runs the second power play really, really well and can run the first power play pretty well at times, better than Latang. Um, he provides... His positives outweigh his negatives. Substantially. And I, it's a massive loss, losing him. Not just for what he provides, but everybody has to go up the lineup now. Yeah. They're not better. They're in a significantly worse spot because they don't have a lot of natural right defensemen right now. So... Um, at Hop in the Cordoba. Two parts. Two parts. 
God damn it. <laughs> with the depth Sneaky. with the depth they have, why can't the Penguins employ a standard lineup? Uh left wing, center, right wing. Why is Sprong still being pushed into the fourth line? Uh and this is why I said the question. Seems like Czar could help balance with left wing too. Um and he actually had Sprong up with Gensel. Czar uh replacing Haglin. Haglin joining his other Swede Hornquist with Broussard on the third line, and then a Simon uh, Sherry Rust fourth line. So no Colin either. So well, and I'm I did see that question, and I quite liked the way the lines are. It was funny when you look at Sprong was drafted as a centerman, right? Was he? I don't know. Oh, uh, not Sprong. Sorry, sorry, Gensel was drafted as a centerman, right? Yes. Yeah. So literally, they had three centermen up on that. They had three centermen up on that first line. So it shows you the center depth that this team had. I've always been sort of waiting for Gensel to move. He will never move from that line. No, not that, no, now. no. He's... No. And, and so, you know, you give up on that. But, yeah, the way the way uh, Hop and the Cordovas lobbed that, I like those line combinations that he threw out there. I would probably leave Haglin for now. Yeah, I but can't if Aston Reese or, or I would put Rust there. I think he's tried to line that up as a a left C right, if you know what I mean, and that's why I think Rust is because Rust has been playing on the left, hasn't he? As a rule, no. At uh, he he's actually been on both wings. For, yeah, for I suppose Pittsburgh. it's interchangeable. I, I think he is a right player. winger, but naturally, but I think he as a left wing is better than Aston Reese, even if it's not his natural side. Yeah, I get what you mean. The question is legit. Good question. That's what I mean by the way the lines are sort of lined up but they, at the moment. But I'll say this. You, you can put together those four lines that aren't... None of them are bad. And no, everyone's slotted into their sort of like skill level. Areas. And you got Brian Rust on a fourth line. It just goes Which is to hilarious. show, like the the, the Canadians um, configuration is not making the most of what uh, the pieces they have. It feels like they're shortening their lineup. Um, it's like they're well, how's the saying go? Chopping off your nose to spite your face, or whatever it is, they're they're cutting themselves in half mm-hmm. by pushing by pushing Brassard so far up the lineup and not allowing um, his his offensive skills to help out the the you know the third line. So yeah, I mean the defense is certainly not a strength, so you gotta do the best with your forwards and that. It's not going the best. Um, so let's see. I got one here. The sun is blocking my screen. I fishy HD. Where would the Penguins even stand to make a trade at this deadline? With the salary the way it is between Johnson and Haglin and the Penguins having glaring holes, do they upgrade at all or do we stand pat all year? That's answered by the Justin Schultz injury now they they need if he say he can't come back for the year they get his cap space for long-term injury reserve that gives them some space 
um, to do some stuff with trade-wise. But it comes down to salary in, salary out with the trade. I mean, you know, like you said, there are idiots out there. If someone took Hornquist off, the, off her hands, it's $5 million in salary cap that you've got to play with from the other end coming back in. So you can do it salary-wise as a zero-sum tra- zero trade, but um, they don't have any flexibility um, if she looks as healthy and playing. Yeah, um, I have a feeling if Schultz is out, there's not really anything in the pipeline. No, they'll have to get someone if they if, if so, they want to replace him. You're talking another? Do, do they? They didn't trade next year's first, did they? I honestly, I don't know. I'd have to. Get I love it. that I have to ask that. Um, Rutherford doesn't use many of them, so I would imagine the first-round pick is always up for play, which, you know, this deep into the Crosby-Malkin thing, you know, I can live, no, they, I can live with got, it. They've got their first in 19, okay. 20, and 21. Okay. It's the third round. It's the third round they're missing this upcoming draft. So you get, they're missing. you get to the point of Schultz's situation not resolving itself with him coming back. You have a first round pick and sprung and go from there. That's probably what no! I know I'm saying. That's what, what they have. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's kind of what they can work with. They're right. It's one of those things where you start getting towards the end of your window, you run out of assets to be able to trade away. That it's just the reality of the situation. You, you just start running out of things to and, be able and, to give away. And injuries are a real problem because you've expended, you know, your assets. You can't. Yeah, you're out of resources. You have no injury protection. Um, and that is what it is. And but who knows? Maybe I'll, Schultz I'll, does. I will come say back. this: I think a lot of teams that are pushing for the Stanley Cup don't have a lot of injury protection anyway. You, you lose a player that's in your top four or you lose a player from your top six forwards and it hurts. It hurts everybody that's at that top end of the top end of the could win the cup. Yeah. It, it's just the reality I mean, they're of not, how it is. Yeah, this isn't like, oh my God, I can't believe. Penguins are the only team going through this. No, that's, uh, that's it, not the case. They might be lucky in the sense that you know, Schultz might miss three quarters of the year, be able to come back and, and play the last 15 games or so. Um, but that's past the deadline, and, and that's where you've got to know what he's doing. That's where you've got to know how he is physically. Mm-hmm. So that that's going to be that's going to be tough. Because if you get him back after the deadline and um, you've already made a move, it theoretically pushes everyone down a spot in the lineup. So I don't know how they'll wangle it. it it's not going to be a lot of fun for the management staff trying to work that out, but um, you have to deal with injuries. Yeah. Um, And JJ underscore Wayne underscore J, the defense and what the before and after will look like without Schultz. I think we um, wanted to give him credit for the question uh, because it was probably subconsciously in my mind as we answered it before we... Yeah, um, yeah. And we do have one more non-penguin, so we can uh, diversify this podcast a little bit. Wow. Uh, Jeff Rose at uh, J-E-F-E-8-10. 
the maple leaf the 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 the, the maple leaf's bandwagon <laughs> feels awfully full. Am I the only one who thinks they're destined for an early uh, round playoff exit this year? Um, well, I'm I'm on the maple leaf's bandwagon. And I do think they could lose in the first round, but it wouldn't necessarily be for the reasons that they're not as good as they are. It would be the playoff format. Yeah. Um, before we started the podcast, I said that we want to talk about the Leafs. And uh, I said it feels like my Twitter feed is just full of Leafs at the moment. And yes, the bandwagon is very full. But yes, they are very good fun to watch. Yeah, I mean they're they're a good team, really good, fun. Most importantly, because after all, you know you watch to be entertained. So I don't know. I guess I can understand that people would get a little bit tired because it, it's the biggest hockey market having a good team, and it kind of feels force-fed, kind of like. Uh, New England Patriots over the course of a long time. But, you know, it's deserved attention. Tons of great young players, some good veterans. An interesting offseason where where the younger GM that is trying to have a more progressive approach takes over for the dinosaur guy. Like, there's a bunch of built-in interesting things happening. Oh, speaking of dinosaur guy, keep going. Okay, and... Um, you know, William Nylander not signing yet, but they're still playing well. There's a lot going on there to like. But but if they draw Boston in the first round, or Tampa, I mean, what are you going to do? Maybe lose. It, that those, those two types of series are coin flips. If, but you if know, they lose, it's either, not, uh, I can't get out of the first round. It's... Jeez. Well, it's not the it's not the Sonics losing to the Nuggets after they won sixty games or something in the year, and that was one v eight. Yeah, you know, that's a prop. That's a proper upset. You get there and you play against either of those two teams from your division. You're as likely to win it as you are to lose it. Yeah. So now, no, I, Grandpa, I... Grandpa, people, bloody! I watched the Canadian broadcast yesterday, the Penguins game. So you know what that meant? I had to watch in the first intermission. I think Danny boy. Oh, God. So, bloody Austin Matthews gets out there and, and has some fun after scoring a goal and gives the whole hand-on-the-ear thing to the Chicago crowd. Then, freaking Patrick Kane goes and does it back when he ties the game. And you're like, whoa, whoa, look at this. Bit of personality from two players. And then he goes out and trashes the hell out of Austin Matthews for doing it, going, that's not the Canadian way. You score like you've scored before, and then showed three or four examples of guys scoring goals who just did absolutely nothing. And it's like, that's how you bring the new fans in. That's how you do it. I cannot wait for that guy to finish up. Sounds like you're rooting for him to die. No, 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 well, no. Well, that's the I only finishing up. Oh, no. Gosh. You know, coming from the guy who wears what he does for attention, yep. Yeah, no. I know. I just it it just frustrates me. You, it's quite clear that I mean, unless you're Connor McDavid, who is the new version of the robot Sidney Crosby in regards to the way he talks and acts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you Sid, can Sid never did Donald Trump for Halloween. No, that's that's a very good point actually. 
But when you get him in front of the media and stuff like that in a controlled oh, yeah. environment, he is as, vanilla as, he is vanilla as Sid was. But you can see a generation of hockey players coming through that are really going to grind the gears of all the old guys in the media. And, and I hope the media doesn't win. Like, you hear Elliot Friedman talking about it looks like the players are going to start showing more of their personality. Like, you can see Friedman understands it and, and wants them to, to show a little bit more. But, yeah, it's it's becoming harder and harder for the old stoogy in the mud guys to hold this back, I hope. Yeah, so... Yep. Well, I don't know. Keeping it uh, penguin-centric today? Yeah, I mean... I don't really have much well, else. Um, yeah, look, that can do us. I mean, there are things that, that have cropped up, but it's like, mm, we can wait on them. Let's wait and see whether Pedersen has a concussion. You know, whether it is just Gibson in Anaheim. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, the Matheson hit was predatory and in response to being embarrassed on a deke that happened in the same sequence at the beginning and you know not much else to say that we haven't said a million times on that uh the ducks are are going all randy carlisle on this they are terrible (laughs) they gave up 30 shot attempts in one period and just gibson is proving that he is not jake allen no and Jake Allen they, is still starting for the Blues. And I was the looking Blues at adjusted they... goals uh, above, you know, goals saved above average, and he's right there with Matt Murray right now, which is not yeah. good. No. And, see, this is the thing. I think St. Louis think they have Josh Gibson, and they don't. And that's, I think, where they've mismanaged their, their roster in, in that Jake Allen signing. It's just a misreading of, of the, the talent of, the, of that position, like 80% of the league do anyway. Yeah. It's it's funny that you would stick with a guy like Allen that long. But Gibson had been playing excellent until last night, and he's going to have to. I think the Ducks are they're pretty bad. That's it. They're last in the league. They are 38% possession. They are leading the division. Yeah. Goalies can cover a lot of problems. Yeah, he's he's covered it so far. But (laughs) last night he was so-so, and the uh, Ducks had a 3-0 lead. And Gibson was so-so, and Dallas said, you know what? You guys suck. We're going to start scoring goals. And they did. I... I kind of want Dallas to do well this year. I want to see Nichushkin do well. I want to see Regilov continue to do what he does. I want Spezza to have like a, a final sort of a uplifting run because I like the way he plays the game. Um, you know, Jamie Ben always gets deep down and dirty. So does he? You know. Does he? Yeah, he does. Okay, no, he doesn't ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. Um, no. Anyways, P- PG-13 podcast. This is not a PG-13 podcast. No, it's not no, with the swearing no. that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> so, um, I think I think that'll do it. Yes. Yeah, that 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 should be sweet. All right. Um, 
We have patreon.com slash hockey hurts. We have the Facebook page, Hockey Hurts. We have at Gunner Stall at Walshy66. And we have my articles at Hockey Buzz. And we have me not writing anything anymore. I've just gotten lazy. No, you did. You, you, you put the Tom Wilson thing through the, the grinder. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't put it on the page. I just put the freaking spreadsheet out. How lazy is that? <laughs> yeah, but it's documented. Actually, so. s- speaking speaking of which, this shits me about the local media in every market. When their players are going to get suspended, they come out with all the fluff pieces about the players to say, oh, he's a good person, off the ice, he shouldn't be getting punished as much as he is. So they're just as responsible for the players not changing the way they act because their local markets protect them by making them think that what they do wasn't that bad. Yeah, the Washington Post is doing one of those. Tom Wilson is actually the victim piece. Which is absolute garbage. And, you know, Pittsburgh Media did it with Matt Cook. Did it with James Neal. Well, even even like, they bailed. It took him a few times to do it. Yeah, and but gonna, it's been more it, than a few just, times for. Yeah, I, it's just I'm just saying, they're the sorts of things that need to change for the older people in hockey that don't want to see those sorts of hits out of the game to change themselves. The media keeps reinforcing what they believe; they're going to stay on top of it. So it's it's annoying. Sorry, final rant. All right. That's it. See ya. See ya.